It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Friday, April 24th, 2020. On this day in 1964, 22-year-old Helen Bartholomew was found asphyxiated in an alleyway in Brentford, England. A sex worker from Blackpool, Bartholomew fell prey to one of London's most notorious serial killers, Jack the Stripper. To this day, her murder remains unsolved. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today, we're covering the brutal strangling of Helen Bartholomew. Let's go back to April 24, 1964, to the streets of London sometime after dark. It was the swinging 60s. Psychedelic rock, miniskirts, and supermodel Twiggy were stepping into fashion. Helen Bartholomew was enjoying her own era of sexual liberation. She was out working the streets. She'd heard whispers of a psycho killer on the loose, but staying inside wasn't an option. Every trick she turned was one step closer to rent. And besides, freedom still felt new to Helen. It had only been a year since she left prison. Helen was found guilty of aiding and abetting in the robbery and assault of a tourist on July 27, 1962. The man, Friend Taylor, claimed that Helen acted as the bait to the crime. In his words, the honey trap. At the time, she was just 20 years old. Allegedly, she used her feminine wiles to lure him to a secluded area in Squiresgate. Once alone, Taylor felt a pebble strike his face before he saw three men rushing at him. He was jumped and his face was slashed with some type of sharp object, a razor or a knife. According to Taylor, Helen screamed for the men to leave him alone. Taylor didn't get a good look at their faces, but Helen referred to one of them by name. He was shocked to learn that she knew the men. Sure, their July fling hadn't been long-lived, but they'd spent time together. Just that day, they went to Pleasure Beach, followed by drinks at a bar called The Huntsman. After all was said and done, Taylor was taken to Victoria Hospital. He received 18 stitches for the wounds he suffered, and, of course, he pressed charges. In court, Helen Bartholomew had a much different account of that night. She claimed she'd spent it seeing the film El Cid at Rendezvous Cinemas on Bond Street. Her friend, David Graham, corroborated her story. But it didn't matter. 
the jury ruled in favor of the prosecution. On October 10, 1962, Helen was sentenced to four years in prison. When the decision was read, Helen collapsed on the stand. This conclusion may have been set from the start. It's likely that Helen didn't receive a fair trial. She worked as a stripper on the Golden Mile before transitioning to sex work at 16. It's safe to assume that the jury's perception of her morals was questionable, to say the least. Meanwhile, friend Taylor was presented to the court as a man of unimpeachable integrity. As it turned out, that wasn't the case. It later came out that Taylor had a connection to crime in the area and that he'd served three prison sentences himself. An appeal was filed on Helen's behalf. The request stated that if the jury had only known Taylor's true character, their decision might have been different. The appeal worked. On February 3rd, 1964, Helen was released. She made the decision to stay in London and continue her career as a sex worker. According to the family she had, she was happy. She was close with her brother Charles and her mother Mary. The family had been devastated two years prior, the same year that Helen was sent to prison, when her father Albert died of a heart attack. She was young, untethered, and beautiful, a free spirit at just 22 years old. She had her entire life ahead of her. So on the evening of April 24, 1964, Helen was working despite the whispers of a serial killer. She might have walked past headlines that read, Hammersmith Nude Murders, maybe even as she was being approached by a man. What happened next can only be speculated. She might have assumed he was just another customer, or maybe she saw the plastic bag he had on his person. All we can say for certain is that there was a struggle. When her body was found in an alley in Brentford, she was naked and had been dead for two days. The only evidence police found was a bit of paint splashed on her body. It was clear Jack the Stripper struck again. Coming up, the investigation into the murder. Now back to the story. 22-year-old Helen Barthelemy's murder made headlines across England. She'd been asphyxiated and left naked in an alleyway in Brentford on April 24, 1964. She was the third in what would become six murders known as the Hammersmith Nude Murders. The serial killer responsible for their death was labeled Jack the Stripper. The name was in reference to a few things. Each woman was a sex worker, each was found naked, and of course, it's a play on the name Jack the Ripper, another notorious London serial killer whose victims were sex workers. But the press wasn't exactly kind to Jack the Stripper's victims. As Helen's youngest brother Charles told reporters, they were treated as if they were scum of the earth. Even the books about them now are all told from a man's perspective. 
There was no empathy. I don't care who you are, a prostitute or the Queen of England, murder is murder. And he's right. Not only were the women demeaned, but their stories weren't always landing on the front pages. Their deaths often took a backseat to another famous killing, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It had happened only three months prior and was still attracting international attention. Not to mention, for most people, fear wasn't exactly a problem. If they weren't a small, female sex worker, the news didn't seem to affect them. As for connection between the victims, there were really only a few. There were signs of violence, but no signs of sexual assault. The first two victims shared the same pimp, but he was investigated and cleared of all charges. Perhaps the most interesting and useful connection was that four of the bodies had industrial paint splatter on them. Detectives believed that whoever their murderer was, he might have been killing in or close to a body shop. The investigation was led by Chief Superintendent John DeRose. Allegedly, 7,000 suspects were questioned. Those were whittled down to 20, which became three. But after a news conference delivered by DeRose, Jack the Stripper stopped. He never killed again. But unfortunately for the victims and their families, the crimes were never solved either. The investigator's strongest lead was a security guard named Mungo Ireland. He worked with industrial paint and lived within two blocks of the first murders. But there was one hitch. He'd been in Scotland when one of the later victims was allegedly killed. Then, before they could investigate much further, Ireland died by suicide. Today, many speculate that Jack the Stripper was not Ireland, but a man named Harold Jones. He worked as a caretaker and would have had access to the same industrial paints. He also lived within walking distance of Ireland's house and the first two crimes. When Harold was 15, he confessed to the murder of two young girls, eight-year-old Frida Burnell and 11-year-old Florence Little. He was sent to prison, but released in 1941 at the age of 35, despite the warnings of his psychiatrist, who told authorities, he shows no remorse for the crimes and no apparent desire for any alteration in his condition. There are reports that claim he went back to visit the site of his first two killings, but was run out of town. The neighbors in Abitillary nicknamed him their Dark Son. If true, his attachment to his first killings paint a picture of a man who would want to murder again. And as an adult, he would certainly be better about covering his tracks. Some even point to the fact that Jack the Stripper's final murder took place on January 11, 1965, Jones' 59th birthday. Harold Jones died of bone cancer in 1971, and whatever secrets he held on to died with him. As for Helen's family, they've made peace with not knowing. Her brother says, 
Helen wouldn't have wanted us to waste our lives worrying about something you can do nothing about. For them, that has to be enough. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our podcast, Serial Killers, that delves deeper into notorious murderers like Jack the Stripper. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Connor Sampson, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson.